Just a warning, Classified the podcast may contain content which is distressing for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. everyone welcome back to season two of classified the podcast i'm so glad you're still tuning in i know it's been a minute i have no good excuse apart from the fact that our scheduling got a little bit funny and then covid19 happened and yeah that's it i'm all out of excuses i have none now i have an incredible work from home set up going on in order to record this podcast thanks to simon our amazing producer, who has given me the goods to make sure that it can still be a quality podcast, even though we aren't in a studio, I can still give you guys good quality podcasting. So for this season, just to give you a little teaser of what's to come, I've decided that the best way to be an Aussie podcaster is to record about Aussie cases. And I think we have some incredibly important and unreported cases that haven't gotten the coverage that they deserve or the attention that they deserve, unlike some of the international cases that tend to sweep the media on the regular. Not saying those ones aren't important, but I think there isn't a lot more I can contribute to the global discussion about those cases, but I definitely can contribute to the discussion about some Australian cases that haven't gotten the attention that they deserve. So each episode this season is going to be dedicated entirely to one case, one episode. And that way we can deep dive into a really important case at a time. And I don't feel like I'm rushing through and not giving you guys all of the important information about each case. Before we get into episode one, I just want to let you guys know that we are much more active this season on social media. I am going to be trying to get you guys more involved in the conversation rather than just emailing in questions. We do have an Instagram now called Classified Crime. Please go give it a follow. Please engage in the discussion. I love hearing what you guys think about the cases that we talk about. And that's an element that I didn't get in season one because I wasn't prepared enough to have an Instagram. So (laughs) that's one upgrade for this season so far. So be sure to go check that out and let's get into it. It's hard to express in words what our family has been through since Nicole's death. The past 12 months have been unimaginably difficult and we're still struggling to comprehend that she will never be coming home. To the person who did this, you have cut short Nicole's life You've destroyed our family and shattered our hearts. On October 3rd of 2018, police were called to Buffalo Creek Reserve in Hunters Hill, a lower North Shore suburb of Sydney, to respond to a call from a local council worker who had discovered the body of a woman who would later be identified as 32-year-old Nicole Cartwright. Nicole's body was found wrapped in a bedsheet and partially covered with leaves. It was said that her body was so badly beaten and bruised that identifying her was a bit of a challenging task for detectives at the time. 
Uh, for anyone not from Sydney, this was a naturally shocking case, particularly for the local community, as this kind of crime is not typical of the area and her death definitely captured the hearts of locals and there was a candlelit vigil to pay their respects in the days after her body was found. At the time of her death, Nicole lived with her family in Lansvale in Sydney's West and her family described her as very, very loved and cherished and timid. She would never hurt a fly. She was a dog lover and was a regular and active user of social media. She was eccentric and quirky. She was also a regular user of various online dating apps, which ultimately became a focal point into the investigation surrounding her death, and I will get into that a little bit later. After the discovery of Nicole in Buffalo Creek Reserve, police made a desperate plea to the public and released CCTV footage of Nicole on the night of September 30th at the last place she was seen alive, which was Museum Station in the city of Sydney, which they managed to track through the use of her Opal card. And for anyone who's not Australian, an Opal card is the way that we tap and go on public transport to pay for each fare. Her family also made various public pleas for information around this time as well, hoping that someone might have seen her or knew who she was with that night, particularly because this footage was captured on the night of the 30th of September and her body wasn't discovered until the morning of October 3rd. So there were a few days in change which she was unaccounted for and her time was unaccounted for. Another part of our inquiry that we are seeking assistance with today uh, is an appeal for information in relation to a number of vehicles and a person seen walking down Pitwater Road uh, at Hunters Hill uh, just before 6am on the morning that Nicole's body was found. Once I decided this case was one I wanted to cover on season two of the podcast, we thought it was a good idea to head to Buffalo Creek Reserve in Hunters Hill late last year to get a picture of when Nicole was found and how this scene might have looked. I was pretty adamant that I wanted to go have a wander and record during the day, but Simon decided it was best to go at night in the pitch black to feel what it would have really been like for Nicole when she was tragically left before the discovery of her body the following morning. So prepare yourselves to listen to my petrified self wandering around Buffalo Creek Reserve in the dark, musing about what might have happened to Nicole Cartwright. So we're just walking down from our cars, which are sort of a long car park that comes down from the roundabout. And it's quite well lit. Like there's a couple of street lights, it's right on the road. Heaps of cars are going by and it's, you know, late at night and there's still, it's a main road. So there's heaps of cars going down. So I don't feel like whoever dumped her here really thought about it that much beforehand. It was probably a a place that they had been to before and thought that will do. Because she wasn't buried, she was just dumped. It kind of says a lot, I guess, about how the crime might have played out 
makes you feel like it wasn't a premeditated thing. It was kind of a, a potential accident. And then they just went, holy shit, where are we going to put her? And this kind of was probably local. They'd probably been here before and just dumped her here and knew she was probably going to be found because there was no way she was not going to be found. Like, this is a completely open space. So we're just going to venture back into the back part of the park behind kind of the car park and the playground area to sort of a more dense part of the park where she was most likely probably dumped. The further back you go, the less you can hear the cars and then it's, and it's really eerie and it's just wind and footsteps and my panicked breathing. Should we go for a walk? Will you walk yeah. with me? Alright. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay, I don't want to like entirely just like go into the forest because I know it's bullshit and I know that there's probably no one here. But murderers do come back <laughs> to places where they've dumped bodies. And it's not exactly a comfortable feeling. Oh, it could so have been down here. This is, this is like the way that it was described. Like you could, the drag marks and stuff. Oh my gosh. If you came here at night to dump a body, you would, there would be no one here. Like there is no one here. Gosh, apart from the torches from our phones and streetlights and this very suspect, creepy toilet block kind of in the distance, there is literally no light in this back part of the park. Literally no light, none. It's just insanely creepy. Let's turn the lights off and see how it feels. Yeah, oh my God. You ready? <laughs> For the journalistic integrity of this podcast, we actually just did that. And that's... Holy shit. I feel a little sick. What can you hear? You can hear the wind and the, car, the cars really far away, and that's it. There's nothing. And the sound of my heart about to beat out of its chest. And that's it. That's it. And no one would find you unless no, they no. fell over you almost. No, you got to be looking for someone out here. It was a council worker as well that, that found her. Which does not surprise me because there would not be people just out here wandering around. It would be someone that was here for like a, a reason. I've never found wind to be a creepy noise until right now. It has never creeped me out before, and the sound of the wind in this park is really, really creepy. Listening back on the location footage reminds me of what it felt like to be there that night, wandering around with Simon and how creepy it felt 
being somewhere that you know someone was left after being killed is a sort of indescribable feeling, particularly when the person hasn't been caught. There's something really vulnerable and unsettling about the whole thing. Wandering around in the pitch black, you can't really see a foot in front of you. We had a small light, our phone torches and microphones on. You can hear every tiny sound that you make and everything feels heightened, the wind, your feet on the ground and every noise makes you super nervous. When you can't see behind you and through the trees, you constantly feel kind of like you're being watched. And Simon and I drove there and we were parking and setting up the mics and the equipment by the boot of the car. We had sort of dim streetlights in the background and some spotlights in the parking lot. We swear we saw this sort of covert drug deal happen in the car park. And we just felt sort of super uncomfortable being there, like someone was about to jump you or grab you and like you just shouldn't be there. I know everything is creepier at night and given the circumstances of everything and why we were there, you know that the park is always going to be a weird place to be, but there was just this really iffy energy about the whole experience for me and I'm really glad that we ended up going even though it was really creepy. I think it definitely made me feel closer to Nicole and closer to the case and I think that that's what made the entire thing totally worth it. Something which stuck with me after deep diving into this case was how it was covered by the media. Of course, there were the initial articles, a few news segments dedicated to finding her body, the vigils held by the family, and the police pleading with the public for any information that they might have about what happened to Nicole. But it did feel like after the initial shock, the publicity died down very fast. The media focused largely on the fact that she was on a bunch of dating sites which lent towards fetishes and SM, painting her as somewhat of an outcast. I can't help but wonder if this type of characterization unintentionally made her what some people have coined as a bad victim. Mamamia.com.au actually covered this very issue and discussed how Nicole's death wasn't given the attention it deserved compared to other women who met similarly tragic ends like Eurydice Dixon and Jill Ma. A quote in this article really stood out to me and it was that Nicole wasn't neat enough of a narrative to shock a nation into grief. She was eccentric to the average person, wore dark makeup and a choker around her neck. This whole idea gets it's so much sadder the more you reflect on it that society might give more sympathy and attention to a victim who had a cleaner image or a more relatable backstory. Nicole's family expressed some discomfort and frustration at the fact that the media gave so much attention to that part of her life. They said that Nicole was so much more than that. They wished a more holistic view of who Nicole was was pushed into the mainstream. And as Nicole's murderer was still at large, public attention was absolutely critical at this time. Just a little disclaimer, the location footage you heard was recorded Uh, in the earlier months of this year and since then an incredible development has been made in Nicole's case. In May of 2020, 51 year old Dennis Petrobin was arrested for the murder of Nicole Cartwright at Parramatta Police Station and subsequently was charged almost two years after her death. 
Police have said that Nicole and Dennis met through a dating app and had spoken several times on social media sites, deciding to actually meet up on the last night that she was seen alive. Earlier, I mentioned that Nicole was last seen days before her body was found in Buffalo Creek Reserve, and it seems that that was because Dennis kept her body at his home for several days before deciding to drive to the reserve in the night and leave her body to be found. While it's an incredible relief for Nicole's family to have an arrest finally be made, there is something still so oddly unsettling about this case for me. Maybe it being quite close to home and still feeling like it never really got the attention that it deserved. I think that's why making sure that episodes of this podcast are given to those who haven't been splashed across every paper and discussed in every true crime blog is important because, of course, their stories deserve to be told too. Once again, thank you all for tuning back into Classified and supporting the podcast after our extended hiatus. I promise uploads of the podcast will be much more frequent and we will be diving into so many more cases and topics this season. If you're interested in reading more true crime content in the meantime, head to classifiedcrime.com where we have loads of case files and a forensics ebook that you can get your hands on as well. Talk to you guys soon and stay safe.